Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Bum, 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 bum. Good morning. Well, I was up last night, most of the night, um, with my seven-year-old who got the Norris virus, the stomach flu, as we like to call it. And uh, that was not, not a fun experience if you're a parent or, or if you've had it. <laughs> it's pretty gross. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my night last night. Uh, so I'm pretty exhausted. I'm guessing I probably also got the virus, so that'll be great uh, when that hits. Um, but yeah, so let's... We have made it to Galatians 5 and... Oh, sorry. Made it to Galatians 5 and often, sometimes with Galatians 5, I cut it into two pieces because there's, you know, there's two parts of Galatians 5 that, are, that I find to be extremely important. And um, there's ones about the fruits of the Spirit and it often gets overlooked and that's often why I like to spend... Um, spend a whole talk on it, even if the talk's not lengthy, just because it's it's an important part of of the scripture. So I think that's what we're going to do, but we're going to see how this thing moves today. Um, usually I sit down and make my notes for Galatians the night before, but since I was up most of the night and then my kids uh, are with their mom for a couple hours today seeing some family. So, oops. So, yeah, there you go. So, we're just going to jump into Galatians 5, but um, I feel like I've been so on point right now, it's hard because I'm feeling a little little sick, and so I want to make sure we stay on point with this. So, the constant reminder is uh, kind of the, if you missed it, you know, Paul is is talking to the Gauls saying, hey, you have you know, turn to another way that pretends to be good news. It's not good news at all. You um, have gone back to the law. And so that's the strange thing is like the big rebuke here, you know, it's so funny because, you know, the earliest Christian writing is a rebuke about returning to the law. That's where we see the sin part come up. The, 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 the trespassing is returning to the older part, you know, or the middle part of the religion, you know, the temporary law. As Paul has pointed out here, that the law was only temporary. And, um, you know, and that's why Christ says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, you know, so it's like it, it had its time to Moses, to Jesus, and that was, boom, that's it. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Um, so we've got that, we've got, so so that's the the, the big Transgression here is returning to religion, being too religious. 
being so religious that you don't think certain people should be allowed to be to call themselves Christians because they don't do what you want them to do. So that's a pretty radical thing that that's kind of like the earliest context of a letter that we have in the New Testament and of Paul's writings. Um, because I'd still say the biggest problem we have with Christianity Day is people making rules and regulations based on their own biases, you know, uh, what they think inclusion is and what they think exclusion is. And of course, different people from different backgrounds have different thoughts and ideas of what those things are. Um, but we always find a way to let legalism, legalism always finds a way. And if people say love will make a way where there is no way, well, legalism will make a way. Judgmentalism will make a way where there is no way. It'll figure a way out, you know? Um, you really don't see a lot of live and let live people nowadays. And, and I think with the type of Christianity I grew up, they would be like, amen, that's great. That's fantastic. We don't want that lukewarmness. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, is like it would be pretty radical to just accept people as how they are and learn to be in relationship with them and hope that we both can grow from those types of relationships. Um, and I think that's what Paul is calling us to this radical idea of saying, you know, we have two different backgrounds, two different histories. We've got the Gauls, we've got the Jews, the, the Judaizers, as they were called at the time, uh, this particular group. You know, so we've got these two groups and, you know, we're trying to, we want you guys to be a community. We want you to be one. And, uh, and instead of doing this infighting. And so I think what Paul is calling these, the, the Galatians, the, the whole community, the, Gal, the Galatians community, it would be very similar to what I feel like my work is trying to call people in, in, in this community and outside of this community to like, how can we better work together disagree better, disagree well, you know. I, I feel like it's, it's beating a dead horse, but, you know, it's just going to have to happen over and over and over again until we start getting it, until more people start listening, until more people start opening up to uh, these truths um, that really are about being free and living life well and living life in a less rigid way. You know, you don't have to be the gatekeeper anymore, you know. Um, you're kind of, we're, we're all free to love people that we disagree with, you know, and a lot of times I think we, we, we are, we're afraid to disagree, you know, we're afraid to love people we disagree with, or afraid to love judgmental people or things like that because, and this is the hard thing to hear, but because of our own insecurities or because of our own hurt. So our emotions take over. And so we're emotionally immature. We're emotionally unavailable to love other people and to include other people. Uh, especially if they have excluded us in the past. And so those are areas that we have to work on in our own life and grow in our own life and mature in our own life to be able to, to do that, to accept that, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take us maturing and going like, I know who I am, I believe in who I am, and even if someone disagrees with me or says things that disagree with me, I'm not going to let that change me. You know, I'm going to be who I am unless they have a point to that. You know what I mean? So I'm going to be true to who I am and if someone's disagreement is not going to rule me. So if someone can make you angry, if someone can make you insecure, if someone can make you run away, often that person has a type of control over you. And um, you have some sort of emotional issues, some sort of something that's happened inside, some sort of uh, harm or, or thing you've gone through that you need to be able to work through. You know, and that's why I recommend like 
therapy and uh, that's why I go see an analyst because I'm trying to work through those things. A lot of people think like, well, no, you know, everybody should just know that these are my triggers and accept me, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, that, that's, you know, that's great and I'm glad to do that in people's lives, but not everybody else is willing to do that. And if I think we're trying to lead to a place of change, we have to learn to not be so easily hurt, so easily triggered. And to say that's impossible would be a lie. You know, it just takes work. It takes therapy. It takes things. I mean, there are still things that get me. And so that's why I like to be with other people so I can work things out and talk to friends and talk to family. And, you know, I don't have as much of that as I used to, but I still have a base of people that I can talk to and communicate with when I'm triggered or when I'm hurt or when I'm feeling insecure. Even if it's just my analyst who I pay to talk to, you know, I still have that avenue to, uh, re to release that, you know. To do that and it's because i've i've made it a point like i don't really have the money to be seen an analyst even though i because i pay for insurance but my insurance doesn't cover it but i make it i make it a priority i look at it as though this is going to make me a better father this is going to make me a better member of my community this is going to make me a better leader a better writer you know just a better person and i'm going to be happier and i'm going to find more peace within this even if i have to face a lot of darkness so i think that's kind of in a nutshell, what Paul's encouraging these folks to do in, in, in a letter form, and he'd already just said in four, like, I wish I was there in person so I didn't have to write such a harsh letter. Like, I wish I was there in person so I didn't have to be so harsh with you so we could talk this out. You know, but unfortunately, I'm feeling a lot of pain in my heart because of this. Galatians 5. Uh, we'll start at 5.1. For freedom of Christ has set us free... Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. And so fall from grace is this idea, is he's, what it's saying is, is when you think, I don't think Paul would say like, if you want to practice circumcision or if you're circumcised, you're going to hell. Um, that would be a lot of us would be going to hell then. Um, but what Paul's saying is when you do this to be right in the eyes of God, I think this is why Luther said, uh, you know, if you have anything to do with grace, in your life, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a horrible, I'm butchering his quote, but basically like, you know, if it's your effort in grace, it's not grace. Like if you're working within grace, it's not grace, you know? And uh, I, I posted that up recently on Twitter, the, the actual quote. Um, and some people really pushed back, you know? And because they're like, well, grace is something that we do when we work with God and we do this kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, well, not in my experience. To me, it's grace is grace. Grace is acceptance. Grace is this. Grace is not about me. It's, and it's all about me, <laughs> you know. And it also it, it radically changes us, but there's really no way to get there, you know. So, um, but it's interesting to see that still people push back on grace and the idea of grace as being, um, like they still, we all want an asterisk, we all want something to do and have power over it. And this is what Paul's saying, he's like, when you guys tell these folks that they have to be circumcised, you gotta think about this, this is what, you know, hundreds of years 
of religion and practice and feeling like this is the law and this is how we obey God and this is how we serve God. And now he's saying, you know, nope, <laughs> this isn't, <laughs> this isn't how you do it anymore. You know, I mean, give this is like 30 years, probably past, maybe not even that, you know, but what people think it's about 30 years. It could be 20 years, 15 years. Let's just, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to guess right now because I don't have the numbers in front of me. But the idea is, you know, he's saying like all these traditions that you've held so sacred and so close to you, I'm, I'm telling you, you have to rethink them because they're hurting you. And what we have to realize is that's one of the things we're doing to a lot of people, a lot of evangelicals. And I feel like I'm doing it a lot with also with some of my progressive friends. You know, I'm challenging them to be like, hey, you know, you can't cancel these people. You can't, be, I mean, you can do it, but it's not fruitful. You know, it's not fruitful to be screaming out in anger and reacting out of anger and reacting out of pain. I mean, I've done it myself, so I know, like, I'm not above that. And there's sometimes I still do it. But the fact is, I know it's not really productive. It doesn't reproduce uh, a movement. It doesn't grow a movement. Um, you know, returning the favor to those who've, who've, who've persecuted you over the years and then persecuting them back, really, it just keeps a vicious cycle going. You know, so it's this challenge of saying, you know, I'm not going to cut myself or I'm not going to, you know, these, are, these aren't things that make you right with God. And I swear, and like growing up in an evangelical church, there was always like, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to not do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you'd be like, oh, but, you know, but don't worry. I mean, you know, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but you ought to change. Like it was so confusing, you know. And um, I remember the first time after I became affirming, I haven't really told this story very much, but I'll tell it just because, Maybe I've told it a lot. I don't know. My brain is not as sharp as it used to be, but um, I'd lost. So I came out affirming and I lost all my speaking engagements, you know, and everything. And I finally started getting some churches to have me, but more progressive churches. And this was cool because I thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is going to be awesome. And I went and I spoke at this big church and I think it was, I can't even remember where it was, but it was a really big church and it was right at the beginning. And I think it, the reason I don't remember is because I'd flown out from New York. I want to say Minnesota, but I'm not sure. Um, so I flew out to this big church and did this talk and grace talk, really radical grace talk. And I thought, well, I was kind of preaching to the choir, but okay, you know, did it. And the pastor, the assistant pastor, come up to me afterwards and give me a really hard time because I didn't, because I gave God male pronouns. Well, I didn't give it. You know, I was reading the Bible. And what I want to say was, is like they were really upset about it. And I was really hurt by it, you know, because I wasn't confident in myself. They were angry about it. And they felt that a guy had betrayed their church or done something like this. And I'm like, listen, I've just given up everything I can, you know, to be here and support you. And this woman was a lesbian woman who's telling this to me. And I'm like, you know, I'll take it in a note, but you got to give me some grace here. This is like, I didn't even know this was a thing. I mean, really the first time pronouns hit my radar. Um, God, this must have been 15 years ago, uh, maybe 16, 17 years ago. Um, and so, you know, that's the thing is like we often like want to hold people up to expectations and think they should know things that we don't know or that there's a particular way to do it. But it was kind of made clear to me like, well, if you want to be in our community, this is how you got to do things. And what I've realized is that we really got to make grace for each other. 
whether it's pronouns or rather it's someone who's, you know, uh, uh, on the conservative side, you know, if they can make room for us going like, hey, you know, I think about sex before marriage differently than you, or I think about the atonement differently. You know, like these are different things that I think we're going to have to learn that we can respect each other's differences, but we should also be able to talk about them in a respectful way, you know? And um, maybe our first instinct shouldn't be to rebuke. You know, maybe that shouldn't be our first instinct. Um, or to create like a new, a new law, new rules and regulations. I mean, it's like, oh, it's not a law, but you can tell when someone's angry at you and, bring, and they're a teacher or a leader, you're going like, ugh, ugh. So that's just an example. Don't worry, I've had a lot more conservatives attack me than liberals, I think. Um, but it's changing. Anyway, the point is, is that we have to learn to, to walk in the middle of these two roads. I mean, that's why my mom could go speak at ORU and sing a song at ORU, and then the next week be doing a LGBTQ book signing at the, you know, there. You know, like, there you go. Like, that's boom, there, you know. And... Um, and it's funny because I saw Zoe say something, and it's funny, Zoe, because it wasn't even their pronouns. It was God's pronouns. And I was like, I was just reading the Bible. You know, like I was actually reading the New Living's version even back then, too. And I was like, I just, you know, so it wasn't even like pronouns for theys and thems. And he, her, I mean, it was God. Like, you know, so after, since then, I've tried to like D. And it's funny, I did it in my last, I think it was my last book or the, my second or third book, I took out God's pronouns. And the people at the book company, the editors at the book company changed them back because they thought I had made a mistake because of my dyslexia. And they're like, oh, they can't write like this. And they put them in and, and, you know, and the book came out. And of course, one of my friends came up to me and was like, a lot of pronouns in here about God. And I was like, oh. I took them out, but the book company put them back in and didn't talk to me about it. You know, so it's just funny how the world works. Anyhow, that's a side note. So what we have here is you've got to think is like this is very sacred as well to these people is circumcision and that that's a sign to God and a sacrifice to God and you're, you know, this is a big thing. This means a lot to these people. And that's why they're saying, the Judaizers are saying to these Gauls like, hey, listen, we want you to join Christianity, but first you probably should do Judaism, you know, and be circumcised and practice so we can get to Christ, you know, and that's their way of thinking. And Paul's saying, no, when you do this, you're making grace useless to them. Like, you don't even need to be circumcised anymore. Like, you guys, this, is, this isn't about that. Like, you can practice circumcision if that's what you want to do, but it's not about being circumcised. It's not about having the, doing the right thing or thinking the right thing. You are accepted. Um, and I think a lot of people, like, avoid, you know, because a lot of people avoid Paul because they think Paul can be crazy, but it's also because th three books that are by Paul weren't written by Paul and there's things added to Paul's stuff later and and then you know clobber scriptures that Paul has um so a lot of people discount Paul and, and I think the problem with that is that we miss out on on how beautiful grace is when we discount Paul because like with Jesus I understood forgiveness but with Paul I understood grace and was able to go back and see Jesus in a different way because Paul taught me about grace and then I saw it within Christ within Christ but it was really Paul who taught me about grace. And so that's why this is so important to me. And teaching Paul is so important. And like us reclaiming Paul from whoever. And just saying like, you know, this is the grace guy. You know. Um, 
For if Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. That's it. Faith through love. And when someone's showing their faith through love and they're loving you the best way they can, whether it's whatever the two binary thinkings of the United States or different thinkings of all the... Whatever these people are coming from, if they're trying to show you actual love, and that'll be a lot of times that people will say, like, well, I'm just saying it out of love, but, you know, you can tell it's hate. So then you have to sit down and maybe have a conversation with somebody about, like, the way you love me feels counterfeit. You know, the way that the things that you tell me are love don't seem to, you know, don't seem to add up with never giving up, never losing faith, always be hopeful in a dearth river circumstance. I remember arguing with this with somebody, a conservative uh, person years and years ago. And the one thing they're like, yeah, but it also rejoices when the truth wins out. And so somehow rejoicing when the truth wins out meant legalism is right and you're wrong. And so me, I have to tell you you're wrong because the truth wins out. Like it never gives up, never loses faith, always hopeful and endures for every circumstance, but rejoices. So like somehow when the rejoicing when the truth comes out came and nullified a lot of those other things of like how you would love. Like it made love the fruits of the spirit and patience and kind of go away a little bit. Like, yeah, you get to, you love these people, but you tell them the truth in a really horrible way. And that's the thing is like, we speak our truth often out of fear. And you know what that says to me is that we're not quite sure it's truth, you know, or, you know, not everybody. Some of us are like me who are introverted and have a hard time with certain people and one-on-ones and things like that. Um, you know, we all have, I can't, that's a great thing about this. You can't put this one big stamp on, on everybody. Um, but it's, it's this, this way of thinking, you know, it, 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 it is a way of like, why am I afraid? I think that's a good question to ask sometimes. Like, why am I afraid to say this? Or, or why do I get so angry when this comes up, you know? And think on it, you know? Why am I angry? Why am I hurt? Does this have to do with them or does it have to do with me? You know, those are things that we have to look at. Um, and that's obviously what's happening here with these guys. Is they're, you know, they're kind of projecting on, well, I've done it. We had to do it. And now you've got to do it. And this is the way it's always been done. So you've got to do it, you know. And when I, once I heard someone say that tradition is peer pressure from dead people, you know. <laughs> and I kind of like that. Um, and not all traditions are bad, you know. But um, a lot can really suck. Um, let's go on to seven. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Now, then he goes into obeying the truth. Like, he's basically saying, like, you, you're obeying, which is not a word that a lot of people like to hear. Um, you're not doing these things when you're obeying the truth. Such persecution does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I am confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. So he's saying just a little bit of legalism, a little bit of anger, a little bit of resentment, a little bit of, you know, hate spreads through the whole dough. You know, one bad apple, the whole bunch, all that thing. And I find it that it can be very true. I've seen it happen in like, you know, I remember when Facebook groups first started, you know, and there were all these like, oh, these Facebook groups are really right on, you know, really right on, you know, and then all of a sudden they would start po posting things about like, 
they'd start, oh, look at this pastor. He's so toxic. And I'm like, hell yeah, that guy's a toxic bastard. Yeah, right, amen, right on, right on, you know. And they start going after people, but everybody seemed really right on. And then one day, you're the toxic one <laughs> because they ran out of people who are really obviously toxic. So then the next thing you know, they're like, well, Jay, you know, you're troublesome. You know, you're trying to speak on behalf of LGBTQ people and you're a white straight male and blah, blah, blah. And I start going, hey, wait a second, you know? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, okay, I hear you. I'm, I'm listening, okay, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna listen. But then they started to divide, divide with one another. And it was always like, it was like nobody was, everybody seemed to be worried about what other people's call were or work was or what they were doing and not looking at the fact that maybe they were hurting communities. Maybe they were hurting other people by their judgments. And then the next thing, you know, I see them going into like things that just did not really happen because one person said this and then they invested in gossip and destroying people's careers. And I've seen this happen over and over again. And like Facebook groups, you know, I've seen people's careers ruined over someone who had a Facebook account or a Twitter account and just, you know, they were angry, they were hurt. They also suffered from mental illness and they couldn't accept the fact that they were going through something like that. And there was no easy way to confront it. So what did they do? Tear each other down, you know? And so to see like these communities tear each other down, like there's this guy who writes these comics that are really always like, I always really like his comics still to this day when I see him. But he was so horrible to some people I really love and care about and to children of people I love and care about. Like I was shocked, you know, I was like, you know, because they weren't, because he just had his ideas of what they was wrong and, and believed one person and not another person and, and just like, you know, you know, and every time I see people support this guy and put his stuff up, I'm always like, oh, that's good. Oh, but it's that guy and he's the guy who really hurt my friend's family and all the, you know, it's just, you know, so there's, you know, even the most right on safest people can hurt you and do things and, and we can be, when we're constantly divided and constantly keeping an eye on, what is that person doing? What is that person? What is that? And we're constantly looking for scapegoats. And so that's what I found out from my family is that we became a scapegoat. You know, my parents were like, hey, Jesus loves you. Come on vacation and hang out here. You know, my other pastors were like, we got to get rid of the gays and we got to do this. You know, those guys all like kept their churches and kept moving on. But my parents had their fall. But a lot of people were like, well, we can't take these guys down. So let's take these like Jesus loving vacation wanting God's going to bless you people and tear them down and put all of that anger towards these people. So that's often what we do is we just take our anger, we scapegoat per people, we redirect our anger and send it towards them. And sometimes we do it thinking that God's on our side. Usually we do think God is on our side. And, um, and the reason I keep putting this scapegoatism with legalism is because that's what often happens is what you have here is you have... Um, a lot of people, yeah, I just saw Zoe say that a lot of people would say cancel that comic person. And that's my knee jerk reaction to the point where I have called other people I've known who've used their stuff and said like, let me tell you, because I want this guy to apologize. So I even know I have the cancel culture with inside me, you know, I have that. Um, I am, uh, often a contradiction and I have to work on that myself, you know, um, so it's tough. I mean, that's a long story and I won't get into it right now, but there was, there was a lot of trying to make peace in that situation. It didn't happen. Point is a lot of the yeast had leaven in the whole batch. 
So legalism, even in the most grace-loving, right-on people, often turn and tear things apart. You know, I really felt like the emergent church fell apart because people just listened to their um, critics and not, well, we just don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be related to that. I don't want to be, you know, I'm like, guys, we're just a group of people meeting together. Like, well, we're white men and blah, blah. I'm going, yeah, but we're just meeting together. There's no leadership. There's no official group. There's no official thing. I mean, they say Brian's the leader, but he's selling the most books. Like if we just wait a few months, Nadia is going to be selling the most books and they'll say Nadia is the leader. You know what I mean? And then this person, you know, like who cares what other people are saying? You know, we're, we're able to come together and, and, and support one another, encourage one another, do our do work well. And that fell apart because everybody got afraid of the people we were, you know, really the community. And we, you know, you took everything rather than taking it, you know, we took everything so for, people just became afraid. It didn't seem like we were stopped meeting together because it wasn't relevant. We stopped meeting together because of criticism. And maybe some people thought it was relevant, maybe not, but they just didn't want to go there. And so a movement died. And you don't see movements happen a lot. So, so Paul is really trying to say is like, when you guys get this, when this legal bit of legalism gets into you, when this anger controls you and when you become someone who scapegoats you, I mean, it just, it spreads easily and you have to be very careful of it. I have to watch it in my own life just now. Like I said, I wanted to cancel the person, you know, or at least have them make a public apology, you know? So it's easy to do that. For we are called freedom brothers and sisters. Oh, no, no, I got to Hold on. My friends, I like this part. Why? Oh, let's go back. I have to, sorry, I jumped way down. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. 10, I am confident about you and the Lord that you will not think otherwise, but whoever this is confusing you will pay the penalty. But my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I am still preaching circumcision? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's saying the offense of the cross, the shame of the cross is removed. Like if I'm preaching circumcision, if I'm saying you have to live by law, then the shame of the cross is, is worthless. And that's what it was. It was shame. I wish those who were unselling you would castrate themselves. So this is another great part of seeing contradiction. Here's Paul saying, you know what? I wish these people who, are, who, who, who want you to be circumcised would just cut their you know, penis and testicles off. I just wish they'd just get rid of the whole thing. You know, like at least cut them off make it useless. This is what I want because this is how I feel. Like this is Paul's angry. So you see Paul's humanity here. So it's not, it's clearly that he's trying to fix the situation, but even he's getting angry about this situation to the point where he's saying, you know, I wish these guys, I wish my enemies would castrate themselves. Um, and I think sometimes we feel that way about our enemies. And I think it's human to do that, you know, one of the things when I was working with Soul Force was, was really cool back in the day is that we would have these intense meetings with these people, these other Christians who disagreed with us about LGBTQ issues. And we'd have these meetings and they would be really tough meetings and, and they would be emotional meetings. And then we'd always do meetings afterwards, they called debriefing meetings. And you know, sometimes we'd sit there and we'd be just wounded looking at our wounds, but there was other times where you'd make fun of somebody or say something silly not in a mean spirit, but just you knew that you needed to be with and safe people, be able to have a joke, be able to have like, oh, can you believe they said this? Oh my God, I nearly died. You know, like, oh, they're, like it was like 
throw it, you know, you know, you just kind of had to go through it and, and let it all out. So it didn't sit in and create bitterness. You know, it didn't make you bitter and angry and, and wishing that all those people would just castrate themselves, you know, or so, so their mouth shuts or, you know, just leave us every, leave, you know, leave people alone. Um, And so Paul's saying, but my friends, if I was still being persecuted, I'm still preaching. So, you know, Paul continues to say, like, I'm not preaching this. Why am I being persecuted? And he's making it clear, I'm being persecuted because I talk about grace. I'm being persecuted because I'm saying circumcision no longer matters. I'm being persecuted because I'm saying Gentiles are, are accepted. Period. You are accepted. Period. That is what I'm saying. You know, I'm also saying Jews are accepted. Period. But just as, as Peter preaches, and I'm, you know, this whole, and I'm saying these communities can come together and live together. Now, as we see earlier on, and we don't know what the, how it ends, when Peter is in a mixed community, what did Peter do? He went and just sat with the Jewish teachers and the leaders and the people and did not sit with the Gentiles because he did not want to see as being unclean, even though in Christianity we're all clean, we're all one. He still fell to the religious people. James, people, comes in, makes Peter nervous, and even, you know, Barnabas, who's like Paul's right-hand man, goes over and goes, sits with only Jews because he's like, I don't want, I'm afraid of what, you know, the Jews will think of me and what the religious sect will think of me, and so I'm not going to be seen sitting with the Gentiles. I mean, this is a big thing, you know, so who don't you want to sit with would be the question here. Who are we afraid to sit with in our own communities? And so here's the thing is like, if you're like, well, I'm a follower of Christ, you know, and all Christians are one, then you have to say like, would you sit with, you know, the churches that's closest to your house? Will you sit with those people? Would you talk with those people? Would you, you know, whatever. I, I'm just trying to figure out. Probably most of us would not want to go to the church closest to where we live. <laughs> um, but, you know, so there's this thing of like, he's saying like, don't do that. And it's a very thing is inclusion's a big thing. You know, but even exclusion has worked into inclusion because now we're going like, well, we've got to exclude anybody who doesn't want to include has become the thing. And you'll see as we go further into the end of Galatians, when Paul talks about restoration, he's talking about restoring people who fall into legalism. I mean, this really is a message of just saying like, come together, work this shit out. You know, um, I'm getting tired of this group, you know, in this group, and he's getting kind of upset with everybody, and he's trying to really harshly bring people together, which is probably not the best way to do it, Paul, but um, this book's still one of my favorites. Sorry. So he goes, I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Now here, listen to this. You know, your freedom as an opportunity, okay, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgences, but through love become slaves to one another, to serve one another. So, so you don't use it as self-indulgences. You don't use it to pat yourself on the back. I mean, let's think of self-indulgences in a way of like, you know, not just being rich and taking care of yourself and everything like listening to rock and roll music and going to rated R movies. <laughs> As I was growing the things that I feared most when I was going to my, you know, Baptist Christian school. Um, but use your freedom as an opportunity for, don't use your freedom for self-indulgences. 
but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul is saying, hey, Gauls, hey, Gentiles, these Jews are your neighbors. Hey, Jews, guys, these Gentiles are your neighbors. Love them as yourself. Give them grace in a way that you would want grace. You know, one of my parenting things is like I try to parent my kids how I wish I was parented. You know, but I also take a lot of good things from maybe, oh, well, my dad did this and I really liked it. Okay, boom, yeah, oh, my mom, I remember my mom saying this, you know, and oh, when I got in trouble, this worked better, I think, than this, you know, and I, and I try to be the parent that I wished I had. And, and I've tried to do that in my own work because I've tried, you know, when I was going more of a pastor's route, I was going, okay, I'm trying to be, you know, here, I'm shaking the bubble. I'm not a pastor. Um, <laughs> the lady does protest too much. Um, but, you know, it's like, I take, I try to hear that. And it's not about tickling ears. It's about helping people survive. It's about helping people feel loved and also helping people feel enough love that they're able to love others. It's also now a part of my work is I would love to be able to help people feel more comfortable in their own skin. You know? So, um, you know, if people could feel like this is who I am, this is where I am, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, this book is really, what a, what a great mix of things. You know, it's, it's speaking truth. It's harsh truth. <laughs> it's, I wish you would, you know, I wish these guys who are coming in making this place hell would castrate themselves. But at the same time, it's saying, you know, I wish, you know, Ultimately, I really wish you guys would just love each other and that I didn't have to write this kind of stuff and that this didn't make me so angry, you know? So. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to work out. Use your, use your noodles and, and think about it. Um, grace is a tough thing. Especially when I say there's no asterisk, you know? And... Um, I just saw somebody say, like, you know, accountability or, like, grace and accountability or something's a good thing. You know, freedom and accountability are good. Yeah, I mean, we need accountability, but you also have to be, like, sometimes you're not the one to hold somebody accountable. I think that's where evangelicals have made a lot of problems with people is that they think they're all the, your accountability. Everyone's their accountability partner, <laughs> you know. And matter of fact, everybody who's listening to them and without the sound of their voice, they're holding accountable. And maybe I should get a bell, bullhorn and go down and hold everybody on the street accountable, you know, and tell them how bad they are and how horrible they are, you know. And so sometimes that, you know, that doesn't come off as love and grace. You know, sometimes you, you they think, oh, I'm going to keep these people accountable. And of course, if you believe hell's a literal place and these people are going to burn there, I, I kind of get the idea if you think God's going to torture everybody, all these people for eternity, why you'd be running down to the streets yelling at people. But at the same time, like, practice wisdom, practice patience, you know, I hear a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, but I don't see a lot of people trusting the Holy Spirit in people's lives. You know, I don't see conviction being really, like people project conviction rather than allow to happen. So when Paul or Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, they're trying to say like, here, find your conviction. What really convicts you? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about others? 
And through all this, I've had to learn to love myself because I realized I loved my neighbor more than myself. You know, so I had to start teaching myself to like, you know, my therapist kept saying like, would you say that to anybody in your community the way you think about yourself? I was like, no, no way. And like, well, then you've got to talk nicer to yourself as well. So we can even destroy ourselves and become a divided person ourselves. We often do become divided. So, boom, your love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how the law is summed up. So in two sentences, Paul says, I wish these people would castrate themselves, but what's really <laughs> the message is, is love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm guessing Paul did not necessarily want to be castrated. Um, and to become slaves to one another. I mean, that's kind of a beautiful thing to think about uh, in a way. It's scary, um, but this is a tall order. And I think this is why Christianity is interesting. And I also, you know, I respect people who say like, I don't follow Christianity oh, because I can't believe in this or this or that, you know, because I don't believe in a lot of the stuff when they're like a man in the sky or sky daddy. I'm like, well, I don't believe that either, you know, and I don't believe in a literal hell, you know. So it's like, you know, there are a lot of things I don't believe that pe why people, some people say, oh, I don't want anything to do with it, you know. But if someone came up to me and was like, you know, I don't want to be anything to do with Christianity because, you know, it just requires me to love people who are unsafe and I don't feel comfortable around and I just... You know, I'd be like, well, it's not really a requirement. It's just like that's it's faith expressing itself through love, you know, and you have grace, you know, just because I believe that that just happens over time and you have to work on that, you know, but I can respect it, though. I can respect it if you're just like, no, screw those people. I want to destroy them, you know, and then I'm going to reject it, you know, or like I want everybody to live the way I want to live. And so I'm not going to have Christianity because I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to compromise this. I want everybody, you know, and they, that's why they rejected Christianity. I totally get it, you know. But most of the people who've rejected Christianity have not rejected Christianity for any of those reasons. They've rejected Christianity because they thought that that's what Christianity was saying. That they believed that Christianity was saying, my way or the highway, you know. Um, usually it has more to do with hurt and pain, and it's just easier to be like, I don't believe in those sky daddy, I don't believe in this, you know? But usually it's because they were treated like shit, and they go like, I'm tired of being treated like shit, so I'm gonna move on with my life, you know? And that seems like Jesus plus people seems pretty toxic, so I'm gonna just, that's not my thing anymore. Matter of fact, I might start a Facebook group that's just about hating that thing or about growing up in that thing, or about doing that thing, or being X part of that thing, or the ba-ba-ba, you know, and, uh, and warn other people to stay away from that thing because of the experience I had. And uh, what I'm trying to say is, like, those experiences are very valid, but they're not the truth of what this book and these letters are really about. You know, what you, you know... And I can't blame you because a lot of people and the majority of people have probably read these scriptures wrong, you know? And uh, that sounds pretty pretty bold of me. <laughs> and of course, I got it right. Oh, how weird is that? Um, <laughs> how lucky of me. <laughs> um, that's grace. Um, no, but, you know, so what I've seen in this, when I've, okay, yeah. You know, those people need to apologize. Um, but I also often want to sit down with people who are like, you know, become so like new atheisty or very disrespectful of, of people who believe it. I want to sit down and be like, well, one, are you kind of returning? Are you kind of doing to those people what they did to you? And two, I want to say is like, all right, well, what are the real reasons? You know, is it because you're hurt? You know, and maybe it's bad theology. 
Like, you don't hear a lot of people saying, like, I was destroyed by bad theology, you know? I mean, you do sometimes, but even those people who go, like, and so I go into my type of position, go into my type of work, and go into doing, like, a ministry type thing, come in, and they start to go, but, like, I used to do it to well. I was like, those conservative Christians, they're the problem. And I'm going, like, I can't scapegoat those people anymore because of what I've read in this book. I have to learn to talk with those people and have hard conversations with those people and build community. And if we really want diversity, uh, diversity isn't me with just a bunch of people who are different colors and different sexes than me, and, but we all think the same. Like, oh, don't we look, we look like a rainbow. But if you don't believe what we think, then you can't be here. So then we only believe in one kind of diversity, but do we believe in true diversity of the mind? You know, no, we just buy into a different system that says this is our system but you're not welcomed if you don't buy into it. So we become legalistic and law bears the same way. And so this is the, what Paul leaves us with in 15. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna do five and a half next, next week or the week after. If I'm not, I might have to take next week off. Um, but 15 says, if however you bite and devour one another, make care that you are not consumed by one another. And I think that's where it's clearest. Everything I've just tried to explain to you very passionately really becomes very clear in 15 right here. Is, is If however you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I will honestly tell you, from my own experience, is that I was consumed by others. By in, growing up, by the Assemblies of Gods and by the Baptists and by all these different folks and even like by the silence of the Lutherans and the silence of the, you know, the Protestant, you know, different mainline denominations, you know, I was consumed by that, you know, and I had to go into a healing place and a forgiving place and work on that. And I did. And then all of a sudden, I stepped in and started to realize that the group that I thought was the safe group, which was my progressive friends, then I started to become consumed by them. You know? And sometimes it was like I was being destroyed, you know, torn down by them as well. You know? Sometimes it was because I was a little ahead of them, and then the other times, because now I'm still like a behind, you know, it's like this, it's like a race, you know? And I, I became consumed by them. You know? And... If people fear you, that's probably not a good place to be if you follow this book, if you follow Christianity. If people fear you, you know, um, and, and, and if people are worried that you could devour them and you bite and devour them and you can become consumed by one another, it's probably not a good place to be. So um, that's the question. Are people afraid of you? Are we, are we making a Christianity that's, that's, that nerves, that racks nerves, you know? Um, and the funny thing is, now that I've gotten this, where there's been a few churches where I thought maybe, you know, where I've seen and I've, I've reached out to them personally and been like direct messaged things when I see things and like, hey, do you think maybe you're missing the point here or doing this, you know? And, and there's not a lot of, and I usually have to do it with my progressive friends because my conservative friends aren't really, you know, my conservative church people really aren't talking to me as much as anymore. 
unless they're like related. <laughs> they feel like they have to. Um, but even then they get angry. Oh, Jay, you don't, you know, you know, like I tried to get into a conversation the other day with a group of these, you know, really progressive folks on Twitter and they were talking about dreams and things like this. And so I inflected and like nothing, nothing happened. And I've been asked to leave groups because I haven't had it because I was, you know, it's weird. I mean, it is really weird that it's like my church, my church experience is always the same with other Christians. And to me, like, what's the common denominator is that we're humans and that we're hurt. And we often project that onto one another. And we also operate out of our own pain and uh, projection and scapegoating and our own insecurities. And it's learning to um, be patient with others who have that and not canceling them or not writing them off just because maybe they didn't, you know, my criticism wasn't accepted. Well, I get it because I get criticized all the time. There's times where it bothers me as well. Um, but it bothers me most is when I'm being threatened to be like completely just canceled because I said one sentence or because I liked a person that I wasn't supposed to like. That's when it, I feel like it becomes super dangerous. And that's not what I'm trying to go around doing. But what I want to do is see people come together as a community and a community of all believers and non-believer. You know, it's not about that, but a place where people can argue well, you know, where we can sit down with atheists and hear what they have to say and maybe learn about ourselves. I mean, do you think like if Christians sat down and took to heart more and more, even what the, like the new atheists say, you know, they might hear us or if, or if new Calvinists sat down and said, okay, well, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to listen to you and, and, and said like, okay, let me tell you why I feel hurt by what you say. Let me tell you why I read it this way. I mean, I think that's one of the things I kind of respected about John Piper um, is that he knew it was offensive. He knew it was hurtful, but that he chose that. He just said, nope, but that's how it is, you know? So for me, it was like at least he, he would he'd make it, why are, you know, why are you guys so, you know, hard on this and why are you hard on women? And, and he'd be like, well, this is why and this is why because we're more intellectual. And he said that. <laughs> You're like, all right, well, I completely disagree with you, but that's okay. But it's also okay for me to know why you're at and how you see that as love. And that's how I'm able to speak to you of like why I think certain things are counterfeit love or call themselves loves that aren't really love. You know? So it's okay to have that, you know, you can learn from even people who don't budge. And you can also learn to look back at yourself and go like, oh, am I not budging of my stance either? You know, am I not, am I not moving? Am I just, you know? Anyway, I feel like this is turning into mush, this talk, so I'm not going to turn it into mush. But what I'm going to say is, what do you hear when you hear the warning of be careful, don't devour yourselves, you know? And that you really what's important is loving yourself as your neighbor. And uh, when we take in this whole book as a letter of you just sat down and read it in one sitting, you know, you would still be thinking about like, man, Peter and James and all those guys didn't want to sit with Gentiles and blah, blah, blah. And now Paul's getting into this like we're devouring one another and... You know, something's happening, you know, and wow, the, we're really changing. This is really changing. Like, you know, everybody, like this is when there should be a place at the table. I mean, like this is actually a place at the table. They're really literally talking about that because people are sitting at different tables and not wanting to be seen with each other over uh, religious expectations, you know. Anyhow, that's all I have for today. I hope you'll... Think about this, analyze it, and, and take it to uncomfortable places in your mind. Because <laughs> that's what I do with it. It's like, you know, where does this lead me to? It might be leads me into uncomfortable situations. 
Um, but in a way, I think it leads us into a better place. Thanks a lot for listening today, everybody. Um, look forward to Galatians five and a half as well. Um, if you like what you hear, I have to do this every time. Always feels strange. Um, you can support Revolution by going to revolutionchurch.com. There's a donation button. We're working on getting a, a Venmo as well. We have a PayPal button. We're working on getting a Venmo button um, because some people said that's easier for them. Um, we're trying to do that because we'd like to keep our doors open. Honestly, right now, I have not made a decision on what we're going to do um, with the future. We're definitely going to go through um, Tillich's talk following Galatians. And then after that, you know, me and a few other people will sit down and try to decide where, where we're going, what's happening, what's the next move um, for myself and for revolution. Um, but if you can support us, that's great. If you can share this with your friends on social media, that helps too. You know, you're saying, oh, I'm broke. Okay, you can share these on social media. Um, it's crazy. Are any of you on Twitter? Because I swear, like, no one shares talks on Twitter, barely ever. If you were on Twitter, are you on Twitter? <laughs> Twitter is like I, like, I put up a thing about my talks on Twitter and it is like not even a, I get one, two likes. Like I had put up, a, I put up a real passive aggressive message the other day. I was like, oh, I understand. It's very hard to, you know, do to like retweet or like, like, I don't know when retweets and likes became so freaking sacred. Um, but that helps. So I won't guilt you about not giving money, but I will guilt you if you're on Twitter and you can't retweet something that you think is good. <laughs> So there you go. If you think it's good, you like what you're hearing, share it with other people. We could use that. It really helps. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot. Lots of grace. Be good to each other. Bye-bye for today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.